the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. Closing the show yesterday, I proffered that if we pull up our socks and roll up our sleeves, we should be able to make the Republican Party the majority party in America. Let's get into that. First, we have to understand we aren't aren't quite there yet, but we are nearly there. Party registration in America slightly favors Democrats right now, 33 to 29. About 34 percent of Americans claim to be independents. Let's begin with an odd case to start with, or seemingly odd. California. People are leaving in droves. Over half a million left the state last year. This year, Republicans flipped three House seats from the Democrats in California. A possible fourth is underway. And then, of course, there's the really big issue, the issue that seemed to plague this country all year. The issue the Democrats use every chance they can and weaponize as much as they can. Race. California had a proposition on its ballot this year that would have, if approved, done what the Democrats and their radical university-type allies argue to do all the time, force minority race preferences. It was known as Proposition 16. We didn't lose the House or Senate or the state legislature, and we didn't lose Proposition 16 in California, the most liberal state in the country. It would have eradicated the Civil Rights Initiative in California, and had it passed, it would have put race and gender preference classifications back into California, would have literally reinstituted discrimination based on race in the name of affirmative action, and it was defeated by over one million votes, a 13-point margin. Liberal California. It was funded with $19 million. The no side, our side, had $1.3 million into the campaign. Again, it was defeated by over a million votes. It tells me something I'm optimistic about that we should all be optimistic about. When we put the fair hearing of conservative principles divorced from personalities to the test, we can gain some great victories. Now, why great? Because race norming and re-racializing America is a big part of the Democratic Party. See, for example, that Joe Biden is already slating to restore critical race training in the federal government. But not even Californians want that sort of thing. Elites do. Voters, regular Americans, don't. Universities do. Regular Americans do not. Then, of course, there's a lot of our nation's successes that are poised to be reversed. I have basically one rule for people running for public office and sitting in public office. They have one job. Make Americans' lives just a little bit easier. You have a choice in public office. They say to govern is to choose. You can make life easier for your constituents or you can make life harder. To do the latter is to usually engage the academic theories of redistributive economics and justice. To do the former is to engage in free enterprise and foster 
opportunity. What might that look like? Conrad Black puts it this way about the past four years from President Trump. He effectively ended illegal immigration, slashed oil imports, and by cutting the taxes of 83% of taxpayers and all corporations, deregulating and eliminating illegal cheap labor competition and renegotiating uneven trade agreements, Donald Trump created more positions to fill in the economy than there were unemployed. For the first time anywhere, the income of the lower economic 20% was rising more quickly than the top 10%. He delivered the country from the green terror without sacrificing the environment, revived the concept of nuclear nonproliferation for irresponsible states like Iran and North Korea, filled the federal bench with authentic constitutionalists and not authoritarian social thinkers, shaped up NATO and the U.S. armed forces, responsibly alerted the world to the proportions of the Chinese challenge, has made greater progress on Middle East peace than anyone. In doing all of this, and refusing to play the race game, in fact being called a racist at every turn, Donald Trump actually gained in African-American votes by 50% and Hispanic votes by 100%. That was Donald Trump. What should we accept from a putative Biden-Harris presidency? They have told us that they want to take away private gun ownership. They have told us that they want to expand government health insurance to illegal aliens. They have told us they want to decriminalize border crossings. They have told us they want universal child care, Medicare for all, student debt cancellation, and universal free college. They have told us they want to reengage terrorist regimes, or at least the single greatest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. They have told us a stronger China is good for the United States, and that China is our friend and ally, not enemy. They have told us riots are peaceful. They have told us this is a country steeped in systemic racism. So I think the problem comes to us this way. We've warned about all that. And they, the Democrats, brag about wanting to do all of that. What we say is a warning, an ill. They think it's a promise and a good. Thus, I don't think most Americans appreciate our warnings or understand what they are in for in a Democratic Party in the White House. Not this Democratic Party. They may find out soon enough, and that will be our opportunity. I cannot expect most Americans to understand what universities and academics believe, or if they hear of it, to think that they are serious. Too many just brush it all aside, dismiss it. The real-world consequences are sheltered. Until now. When more Americans start losing jobs, seeing more of their money spent abroad, having their preferences and rights shunted to favor illegal aliens, lose opportunities because of nothing more than being born to the wrong skin color, find health care quality going down and access to it harder to access, we have to be there for them, for our country. Donald Trump proved this could be done. This is where comes the notion of proving the theoretical with the actual. Donald Trump showed the theoretical with the actual, and the Democrats are poised to prove their theoreticals with actuals. It will make what we've tried to warn against so much easier, especially since we have the conviction and the belief in our convictions. Let's get down to it. What the left really is and what I think too many have forgotten, David Horowitz writes this, the social justice radicals still have the best slogans. They call themselves progressives. They're actually reactionaries. They call themselves liberals. They're actually bigots. They say they're for peace when they are organized for war. It's always the same war to bring down the United States of America. 
Thanks mainly to their growing influence, we live in extreme times where things are not what they are made to seem, and monstrous accusations are leveled at individuals without restraint. As a result, we live in an atmosphere of intimidation where people can lose their livelihoods, their careers, and even their lives if they get on the wrong side of the leftist crusaders. That is a terrible thing to have to say in this once free country, but it is something that has become too obvious to deny. For 30 years before he descended the famous escalator in Trump Towers to declare his candidacy for the White House, Donald Trump was a well-known public figure. Everybody in America knew who he was. In all those 30 years, no one ever referred to him as Donald Trump, host of The Apprentice and white supremacist. Nobody ever said, this is Donald Trump, New York builder and white nationalist. That only happened when he ran against the Democrats, when he challenged the left. In fact, the truth is all three of Trump's predecessors as presidential candidates, Bush, McCain, and even Romney, were denounced as racists by the Democrats, too. Vice President Joe Biden told an audience that included black Americans, if elected Mitt Romney and his running mate Paul Ryan, we're going to put them all back in chains. Why do Democrats take such a low road as a matter of course? They do it because it's effective and because the Democratic Party has a dirty secret to hide. Democrats control 100% of every major inner city in America and have for 50 to over 100 years. Every field, Detroit, Chicago, Baltimore, St. Louis, is 100% in the hands of the Democrats. Every injustice in these inner cities, real or imagined, that policy can affect Democrats are 100% responsible for. Every rotten school system, which year in and year out fails to provide mainly black and Hispanic kids with the basic tools they need to succeed is 100% controlled by the Democratic Party and its teachers' unions, who, without exception, put the interests of the adults in the system in front the kids. I would only argue that it was once effective, and the most brilliant and positive of things Donald Trump did was to call it all out where so many were afraid to and wanted to go around with that little secret. He was punished by the media and Democratic leaders, of course, but not actual Hispanic and black voters, at least not enough to reduce his vote in those communities. He gained votes in both of them. Right direction, right track. In California, Proposition 16, let us not forget it. Turns out speaking truth to power has its barbs and its rewards. Now, my thesis is the left will show us everything they really are. For when you want to know someone's thinking and character, you give them power. And then they show it. They think they have it. They will wield it or try to. They will prove what we've been saying, and we will be right here, ready to thwart it, and ultimately, let us pray, bury it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the number. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Um. Yeah, I I wasn't sure which story to to lead off with here. The CDC now reporting that coronavirus must might have been 
looks to have been in the United States a lot earlier than January, as far back as December. A lot of us thought that. A lot of us uh, thought that, actually, because a lot of us were noticing influenza-like illnesses running rampant in January and February, uh, which begs a question about flattening the curve, if we're flattening the right curve or if we ever flattened the right curve. Um, the, the more we dig into it, the, the weirder it is. There was a um, something maybe we'll talk to Lewis Hallman about in our third hour. I find it inter- I found it interesting that um, one of our uh, one of our salient contributors has an editorial where he's talking about following the science and listening to the scientists. And that's right and fine. But, you know, there's a lot of science and scientists other than just virology and virologists. <laughs> and I was reading some statistics to you yesterday. I'm happy to do them again on things that we um, things that we had lost that other scientists are just being ignored about. Economics is a science. Economics is a science. And uh, financial devastation is something that I think if we're going to listen to science, we should listen to science about as well. Um, psychology and um, psychiatry, those are sciences. Loneliness, addiction, suicide. Um, should we not be following those sciences and scientists as well? Uh, I wanted to talk about that. I also wanted to talk about Joe Biden's new economic team that he, he unveiled today. Um, for what I refer to as his putative presidency. Uh, you, you keep hearing me use that word. I'm happy to look at another one. But the word putative um, isn't the same thing as prospective. Uh, the word putative um, means commonly accepted or supposed. And I think that's about the right word for describing him right now as things are still playing out. Um, so that's how I will continue to, unless you guys have a better, anyone in the audience has something better to suggest. I kind of like putative. Bill, do you like putative? The putative presidency of Joe Biden. He selected, I'm reading from Paul Mirangoff, he's got a great beat on this, uh, Nira Tandon to head his Office of Management and Budget. You're going to be hearing a lot about Nira Tandon. She is going to end up being a very controversial choice for an important role, um, not every role, obviously, in the White House has to face Senate confirmation. Um, chiefs of staff don't. Speechwriters don't. A lot of it, <clears throat> a lot of White House deputies, chiefs of staff don't. Uh, uh, councils don't. A lot of positions don't. But the director of the Office of Management and Budget does. And, <clears throat> and Neera Tandon, um, she may not get confirmed. She may not get confirmed if we hold the Senate, and holding the Senate is our next huge task. Uh, we have to do it. Um, I know that there are efforts, um, or at least uh, concepts, that in Georgia people are saying don't vote. Vote doesn't matter. It does. Do. <laughs> the Senate is going to be extremely important. Maintaining the Senate can prevent a catastrophe. It can prevent a catastrophe. Um, it can it, it, it can stop a lot. Happy to go into that, but let me just bookmark it for now. Let me talk about Neera Tandon for a moment. Remember Donald Trump's war against the media, war against the press, violence against the media, instigating violence against the media? Was there ever any example of it, by the way? There was not. 
Neera Tandon actually punched a reporter. Actually, physically punched a reporter. A reporter named Faiz Shakir. Can you imagine if a Trump supporter punched someone named Faiz Shakir uh, or a Trump um, cabinet-level position officer punched someone named Faiz Shakir? Um, it's a Think Progress uh, media editor, chief editor, actually, um, who used to work for Bernie Sanders, and Neera Tandon punched him. She says it wasn't a punch, it was a shove. Either way, let us not mince words here. It's an assault. Uh, it might even be assault and battery or against the media, violence against the media indeed. But as, per, as uh, Paul Mirangoff put it, puts it about Neera Tandon, uh, she is the president of a leftist think tank called the Center for the American uh, Center for American Progress. And she's being touted as, you know, what you would normally be touted as in the world we live in. The first woman of color to lead the OMB, of course, of course, of course. Thus, although she is deemed of color for purposes of having her nomination celebrated by all the lefty liberals, she's actually a member of a group that is disfavored by lefty liberals when it comes to, for example, admissions to college. Um. Tanum's parents come from India. Tanum is the first nominee to come under serious public fire um, from senator uh, from Republican senators. If the GOP retains control of the Senate, uh, Rob Portman will head the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, which will be one of the two committees that uh, will hold hearings on Tanum's nomination. The other one will be. Um, uh, Lindsey Graham's committee. Um, Portman, who is known for his sobriety and never really flame-throwing, already said, the concern I have is both judgment based on the tweets that I've been shown just in the last 24 hours, and it's the part of partisan nature of them. Of all the jobs, that's the one where I think you would need to be careful not to so have someone who's overtly partisan. Um she has been busy deleting tweets right now. Here's one tweet of hers that survived from last year. Quote, can people on here, Twitter, please focus their ire on McConnell and the GOP senators who are up this cycle and enable him? Cory Gardner, Collins, Ernst, Cornyn, Purdue, Tillis, and many more. Well, Purdue's one of the senators who's up for election in Georgia um, and all of those senators she called out outside of Gardner will vote on her nomination. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He's with us at 3.34 every day to talk about the culture and our economy. John, how are you? Let me give out your website, grandcanyonplanning.com. It's a fun website. How are you doing, John? Fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing just fine. Great. Thank you. The great. weather was great this morning. Oh, my gosh. I nice brisk run. Yeah, I love it. We got the beautiful moon and the sun coming up at the same time, you know, moon setting, yeah. sun rising. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, that explained the dog's behavior, <laughs> the moon. I think they're I wolf. think it was a full moon, right? Yeah, very, their very wolf close. instinct kicks in. Yep. Anyway. 
Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you a question mm-hmm. um, that someone emailed me to ask you. Um, yes. Before we do that, you tell us about the culture and this day in history. Well, back to 1913, the first assembly line at Ford Motor Company began. And, uh, of course, the rest is history, as we know, with the uh, Ford uh, Model T at that time. And it, it turned out to be an amazing run for uh, Henry Ford. And Ford is still, obviously, a, 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 a good company right now. It's still, uh, if I looked at the, I looked at the chart on yeah. Ford just recently here, they had a nice run year to date. But overall, uh, it's still an under, underperformed over the last decade or two. But same, gen- same of other American automakers? Well, General Motors, too, yes. But we're starting to see a little bit of spark with General Motors. I think both Ford and GM, they're both trying to break into that electric vehicle yeah. market. Yeah, that's sure. Gonna be the, it's going to be the uh, the game changer. Who's going to get to that race first? You know what the problem is with history textbooks? Everyone learns in school, that, as I did, as you did, that Ford invented the assembly line mm-hmm. and that it was this great revolutionary thing. I don't remember for the life of me why they said it was a great revolutionary thing. Mm-hmm. And I learned later in life it's there was one one big trick to it that made it revolutionary. It cut the time, obviously, to mm-hmm. produce the, 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 the product right. <clears throat> by bringing the machinery to workers rather than workers having to walk around and waste time right. going to the machinery works. Mm-hmm. They just stood there That's and did what it one did. thing. Yeah. They did one thing yeah. and the next person And it brought it next. to them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So pretty they amazing. Could be stationary mm-hmm. anyway. Yep. Email a uh, question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, home equity loans. Right. Are they a good idea? And if you already, ha- first of all, what are they to the novice? Are mm-hmm. they a good idea? And if you have one, is it better to pay it off? Okay. So home equity lines of credit, and sometimes referred to as a HELOC. Uh-huh. I know you like that. Yeah. Right. Okay. The HELOCs. We just say it once. Okay, right. Say it once. Right. Now, what happens traditionally is, is you may have a first mortgage on your home. Right. Right, your your uh, purchase money mortgage, they call it. When you buy a home, you're purchasing the home and you're borrowing money. Now, oftentimes you may want to have an additional loan on the property to do some remodeling or to do something on the property, and that is where a home equity line of credit can come in. So when you borrow again, that would be a second position loan, Seth. Yep. Uh, sometimes banks are a little bit. Uh, funny about yep. that but mm-hmm. with HELOCs they're not as concerned because it's a bank loan and uh, but it is a, a loan that is a lien against your home so if you do sell the home that that HELOC has to be paid off okay. the other side of this is that uh, usually that is an adjustable rate more uh, loan so that interest rate is going to move with some index okay. that they link the interest rate to unlike uh, maybe your your primary uh, home mortgage might be a fixed rate if you chose that. Okay. So rates are relatively low right now. Should you have a HELOC? Maybe. And the reason uh, that I usually would use it is is if you have your home and it's paid off, it's paid in full. You've heard these uh, stories out there of where people maybe take equity from your home. Mm -hmm. Uh, By having a lien against your home, that's going to actually protect you. So if you have your home free and clear, Sometimes I recommend people to just go to a bank, one of your local banks, and just take out a home equity line of credit on your property. Okay. This will, in turn, mm-hmm. uh, secure that property, showing that there's a loan on it. You'll be able to draw against that and pay it off at any time you want. 
uh, or you don't have to draw against it at all. But that loan is at least there in the event you need the money, and it does show that there's a lien on the property in case someone tries to invade uh, the title of your property. Okay. So it could be a, could be a benefit for you. Okay. And are rates generally good right now for those sorts of things? Yeah, the HELOCs are going to be a little bit more uh, as far as interest yep. than uh, a primary loan would be, and that's again because it's not a uh, you know your first position loan. Uh, but uh, the rates are super low right now, as we know, because of overall the so it's enticing. Historic rates are low, yes. And but I would say one thing, Seth, yeah. and this is what we saw people do during the last home crunch yeah. is is they borrowed money against their homes, they took that money and bought other property with it. Uh-huh. You know, now you're starting now to Now you're starting to pay some real bills. Yes, yeah. and you're also creating a situation to where you could be overextending yep. yourself. Uh, I just don't think that that's a good idea. Careful, careful, yeah. careful, caution. Yeah. Thank you, John. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Fender and Sepik, and an investment advisor, Grand King and Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. I'm not a lender, by the way. No. So, okay. But people can talk to you about they lending can talk ideas. To me about it, yes. You bet. Okay. Thank, Thank you, Seth. Bye bye. Bye. We're going to need more Christmas music, aren't we? I think we are. I guess I know what we'll be doing tonight after the show for five hours. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602. It's not a challenge. It's just time on task. 602-508-0960. It is not a challenge to find Christmas music. Did I have other things to bug you about today? Running. Yeah, we have to bookmark uh Running stories. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. Well, how are you, Seth? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, wonderful monologue, by the way. I'm all, I always enjoy those. Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. Thank you, sir. And I always get most excited because it is a rare occurrence, you know, sort of like a blue moon, uh, that I might disagree ever so slightly. I hope you. you do. I hope people yeah. do disagree once in a while. I mean, that's the only way we'll get to serious thought here, right? There we are. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And in the end, after our discussions where I vehemently disagreed, I found out I actually didn't. It was a minor point. That was a great disappointment. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Is this a private fight or can anyone get in? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, right, lay it on me. Okay. I'm going to start saying really disagreeable things just to encourage this. Now, I would like to be there because uh, you in a disagreeable mood would be there where I'm very tepid. I I don't think the mood. I'm just going to say disagreeable things with a cheery face. Socialism with a happy face was the expression out of war. Czechoslovakia, I I knew someone that could do that like a master. He could say terribly rude things with a smirk and a smile, and you'd get away with it. It was masterful. Yeah, Yeah, because so much of communication is nonverbal. Not radio, but Uh, elsewhere. Right. <laughs> well, you know, here's what I was thinking okay. about uh, in your monologue is that I attribute most of the successes electorally uh, for the Republicans to the fact that we have a fighter in the federal government because uh, it's so rare in our party. 
we have basically for 40 years or 45 years, uh, the 45 years that I've been voting Republican and being a, been a precinct officer and everything else, um, basically we are the pi- party of accommodation, uh, talking sweet, uh, and being nice and losing. And we have a 45-year record, and I challenge anybody to to say that we don't to pick Hollywood, academia, uh, even big business, which we used to think was our bastion, find any area of the culture where we have advanced conservatism. Is there one? Is there no, one? there is not. Professional and, bowling, and maybe? Even sports. Professional <laughs> bowling, I'm thinking. Might and, be and, and so if... <laughs> maybe bowling yeah um but the point is is that that says to me that the method and the need to accommodate and speak nice and where it is preferred to lose while we be nice is not good uh because we cannot say we are against killing babies while we allow the victory of those that do because we're more worried about talking tough than actually winning and preventing the deaths of the babies. Trump has taught us that talking tough and actually without any support and actually having 60% of the establishment Republicans against him, he can still push through victories. That has inspired the base like no one has ever seen. If Trump today said that in the 24, he was going to start a third party. Am I, who has voted Republican for 45 years and been a precinct officer, except for the last 20 years, or most of that 25 years, um, I would I would go third party and vote. You know, that is so Trump. interesting. Um, for, I haven't found our disagreement yet, though, by the way. What's our disagreement? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm attributing it not to the Republicans, but to Donald Trump. Okay. And what happened in yeah. 1989... Yeah is Ronald Reagan left, and immediately afterwards, uh, when I would get my uh, fortune in in, uh, Wall Street Journal papers, immediately I start reading articles that the era of Reagan was over. The establishment immediately closed (laughs) ranks. That's right. A kinder, gentler nation. That was what Bush said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank God we don't have to cause any consternation or hurt anybody's feeling and have to fight for anything anymore. We can go back to losing with style. Right. Now, uh, this is what you're seeing with the Republican Party today. Many of these people, they are not closing ranks and fighting tooth and nail with half the vigor that the Democrats fight for anything. Uh, they're, they're staying mum on the election, except for a very select few. Uh, they're already beginning to show signs of accommodating the next thing, including Lindsey Graham, who begged us for donations, of which I was gave him some, and then immediately are accommodating and already explaining how he's going to welcome the next administration in. I mean, we are already accommodating the loss. And but there, the only thing that gives me heart is that we have a new crop that I because I, I don't give money to the Republican Party because they it away. I choose the fighters and give money to the individual candidates, and it makes me so happy. We have a new crop of women and minority in, in black men that are coming in. Yeah, it's an impressive group, isn't it? They're Trumpers. Yeah. They're fighters, and they're going to be a little bit of a thorn in their side because they're not going to lose with style. They're going to fight, 
And other I like this. Some guys. of these people are the Freedom Force. That's what they're calling themselves, yeah, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. These Burgess Owens and people like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They give me hope. But the but there's too many of the establishments. Uh, you know, like a good example is like when Trump came, got tough on the border. McConnell and all the the, the, the establishment, Republican Senate. That within the hour, where they're already condemning him, they couldn't get there to blast the the uh, firm stance on the border. They, you know, it's like honest to God, they do half the Democrats fight for them. They do half. They of don't it. have to. They, they, that's a really wise insight. They do half of it um, by not fighting for our stuff. Um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I am really intrigued, though. If I can focus on this, I'll let you make whatever point you want to that you didn't sure. have a chance to. But I am fascinated by the notion of the third party because I just started thinking about it and hearing about it maybe yesterday, maybe even this morning, the talk of third of of a third party. The way of the Whigs. Well, okay, fair enough. Um, the Republican Party was born on serious principle. You know, I, I always yeah. get a chuckle out of people who say, that's not my Republican Party. It never was involved in social issues. Have they ever read the original P- Republican Party platform of eighteen fifty six? Right. It was nothing but right. social issues. Right. Slavery yeah. and bigamy. <laughs> yeah. Twin relics of barbarism, the original Republican yeah. platform. Yeah. Hey, hold yeah. with me, which I want to come back on this notion of th- can you sure. stay? I have Absolutely. to hit a, have to hit a quick break, my producer tells me. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Nice work, Bill. Nice work. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Doug uh, in Maricopa, thinking about this third party. So um, we'll see, obviously, what Donald Trump does if he uh, is not uh, a second termer right away. But um, I will tell you that, you know, it's interesting because he's flirted with that before. Do you remember he was once contemplating running in the Reform Party? And do you remember why he said found out David Duke? That's right. That's exactly where I was going with that. You know, the media that wanted to keep putting him together with David Duke, he left the reform party over David Duke. You're darn right. Um, In any event. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The one thing I want us to think about, too, is, you know, there's this thing people call Trumpism. What is it? What is it that would constitute this third party? I'd love to make a list uh, with listeners what what constitutes Trumpism. Some of it is attitudinal. Some of it is policy. Um, And then the last thing I want to do is make sure that we look at third parties and we look at third parties. You know, if there was – I think I'm right about this. I know the numbers are right, but I think I'm right that, you know, the libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen – she she caused a lot of problems in, in important states like Wisconsin and here in Arizona. Yeah. You know, when you yeah. think about the yeah. margin of difference with Trump and Biden being, what, about 10,000 votes? Yeah. She, she she got 51,000 votes in Arizona. I know. I know. And I don't think – I mean, yeah, there's always a few Democrats that go that way, but most of those would have been otherwise Trump votes, I think. Well, you, you hit on a good point here, and I, and I wanted to circle back after this next point uh, to what actually uh, caused the demise of a certain – Party and what causes the, the changeover, because yeah. I have some points on that. But uh, to your point here, um, you, you know, I, I think that any time we, we look at this, and this is the reason I bring up the Whigs, 
is because we have to look at what caused their demise. Mm-hmm. They, they they can't they came into being in the early 30, 1830s. I guess that was kind of a reaction to Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, now here's the thing. I, I and I'm trying to blow some myths in the Republican Party because one of the things my greatest opposition. In when I went to pre uh, school board meetings and when I was very active politically for decades, it was not the liberals. It was the establishment, do nothing, be nice Republicans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We lost all the advan- the school districts to the liberal in yep. Seattle, and yep. it was all done by the nices. Yep. Okay, yep. but very rapidly, the guys who replaced the Nices were the liberals. But that's because we wouldn't fight for the issues or stand for anything. Matter yep. of fact, uh, at a school board meeting, was the first time I heard the term progressive. It was in the mid uh, mid eighties. Um, but the point is, uh, you look in the Whig Party; they had a lot of really good, charactered, sweet, nice men. The failure of an organization is not based on how tough they are or the effectiveness of a party. Is right. not is not based on how sweet they are and how nice they are. Let me uh, do this because I'm hitting a hard break here, Doug. It's such an important yeah. call. Call call me back in the next hour if you want. I have an interview sure. coming up um, with Nancy Barto, but call back. This is this is something big we have to pursue. But I have to take the break. I apologize. You bet. You, That'd be no problem. You betcha. Thank you. We'll be right back.